0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Romans, chapter 12. I just want to read the first few words, really, of verse number one, and we're just going to go through this chapter. Look what the Bible says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That's where I'm going to stop. Paul says, I beg you, I plead with you. I'm urging you, therefore, but look who he's writing. She's in here now. There she comes. (laughs) Yeah. What is it, the prodigal? Anyway, uh, yeah. I urge you, therefore, look at the next word, brethren. The entirety of this chapter, Paul is pleading with or urging saved people to do things if you study out the book of Romans Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11 Paul is dealing with here's what you believe he's dealing with doctrine he lays it out in the first eleven chapters we believe this and we believe that and by the way you ought to know your church's doctrinal statement not only that you ought to be able to say amen to everything on that doctrinal statement And if you can't, it's because you don't understand yet and need to have your preacher help you understand it. Say amen right there. But now Paul transitions in chapter 12 through the end of the book of Romans, and he does not deal with here's what you believe, but now he deals with here's how you behave because of what you believe. He's saying your doctrine ought to influence your behavior, what you believe ought to affect how you live. Your truth ought to lead to your principle put into practice in your life. I want to preach on this thought tonight, Romans chapter 12, the entire chapter. Here's an entire chapter, just in case you want to be a good Christian, just in case. If you want to be a good Christian, here's a chapter for you. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help me preach tonight. I pray you'd help us to have have church just a little while. Thank you for our, our church family, and that's what it is. We're not here to impress or even entertain. We're just here to gather around you. And lift you up. And I pray that you'd be pleased. I pray that you bless our fellowship together around your word. And I pray for a spirit of revival. Speak to our hearts. Challenge us. Change us. Convict us. Conform us. Whatever the need is, we know that you can meet it. Thank you for our church. Thank you for all the singers tonight. Thank you for Brother Elliot and the choir and how they did. The orchestra. Everything that's happened. The offering. It's just been good to be in church. It always is. But thank you tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. I read an illustration about a man named Billy who was sent off in the military overseas. and He was there for a little while, and he was writing letters back and forth with his uh, girlfriend at home. and He began to tell her, he said, don't worry, I'm not looking at any other women. My eyes are for you only. I'm faithful to you. You don't have to worry. After a few more letters, she sent him in the mail a harmonica with a letter and said, hey, Billy, here's a harmonica just to keep you busy. Whenever you feel like looking at the women, I want you to play the harmonica. I want you to practice it and get good at the harmonica and let that take up your time, keep your eyes off the girls. Some time passed and he was able to go home and his deployment was over. He came home and she was happy to see him and ran and Billy's eyes got big and he reached out, We're going to give her a hug and she said, wait a minute, before we start all this kissing and hugging, let me hear you play that harmonica. <laughs> and she just wanted to make sure that his practice matched what he was preaching. I want to ask the question tonight, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, in the world, is there enough evidence to convict you guilty of being a Christian? I'm afraid in our generation, we got a lot of closet Christians. We got a lot of chameleon Christians. They'd change depending on who they're around. I'm afraid we've got some secret service Christians. They're Christians, but you never could tell it. Your Christianity ought to be more than the truth that you hold on the inside. It ought to leak out just a little bit. On the outside the word Christian literally means little Christ and it denotes one who in every area of their life is like the Lord the sense behind the word or behind the title is a life that serves as a mirror image or a reflection to this world of the life of Christ a Christian is a representative a Christian is an ambassador A Christian is a soldier. A Christian, being a Christian is not simply being a believer, but it is also being a follower. In Acts 11, verse 26, those disciples in Antioch were called Christians for the first time in this world. Somebody was called a Christian. But they weren't called Christians because of what they believed. They were called Christians because of how they behaved. As they lived in the city of Antioch, it was obvious they were peculiar. They were different, that they were distinguished and marked by their lifestyle. And the world derided them and said, hey, they're just like the Christ that we crucified. Those folks must be Christians. They weren't called Christians just because of their belief. They were called Christians because of their belief. Behavior Now, I know that might not seem good to those that say, well, we don't like all these fruit inspectors. But most folks who don't like fruit inspectors have rotten fruit, and that's why they don't enjoy a good fruit inspection. But can I say there's more to being a Christian than a fish sticker on the back of your car or a cross tattooed on the lower back on your body, say amen right there, or a Bible on your coffee table. It's more than saying, this I believe. It's also saying, this I do. When I say I'm a Christian. I'm not just talking about the internal. I ought to be talking about the external. I'm not just talking about my doctrine. I'm talking about duty. I'm not just talking about truth. I'm talking about practice. I'm not just talking about my creed. I ought to be talking about my character and my conduct. The old hymn asked the question, can the world see Jesus in me? And Christianity is not just truth accepted, it is also truth applied. Let me say this. There's a lot of saved people that are not good Christians. There's a lot of people that sit in church pews that are not good Christians. There's a lot of folks who stand behind pulpits that might not be good Christians. There are people who say, now I love the Lord, but they wouldn't necessarily be a good Christian. Being a good Christian is much more than being born again, baptized in deep water, and carrying a Bible to church on a Sunday morning. James said this, faith without works is dead being alone. He said, you show me your faith without works. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Now, some folks who can't rightly divide their Bible would say, James is preaching a works salvation, but you're letting your Bible ignorance hang out. You ought to tuck it back in. That is not what he's (laughs) preaching whatsoever. He is not saying that you're justified by works for salvation. He preaches it like this. I'm justified by faith for salvation. But I'm justified by, my faith is justified by my works to the world around me. The world cannot see my faith, but they can see the fruit of my faith. They can't see the faith that lives within, but they can see how my faith lives in the world around me. In 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul said, you have fully known my doctrine, but then immediately after he says, manner of life. And that's because you cannot separate the two. If you believe it, it's going to ooze out of your life. It's going to affect the way that you talk. It's going to affect the way that you walk. It's going to affect the way that you think. we got a generation today of these Instagram social media Christians that if you put them on mute and didn't read their profile, you wouldn't know they were saved or what. I mean, you can't tell. They're incognito. They're under the radar. They're in this clothes and trying to keep it under wraps. They might be saved, but you can't tell it. Now you can't convince me That somebody can get born again and God not show up somehow in their life. It's like that illustration that's been used a million times and let's just mark it down a million and one. A little boy got saved in Sunday school and the teacher said now that you're saved, God lives inside of you. That little boy said, well I got a problem with that. And that teacher said, what? He said, will you see how small I am? She said, yes. He said, you know how big God is? He said, yeah, he's bigger than the universe. He said, well my problem is this. If somebody as big as God lives inside of me, don't you think he's going to stick out every once in a while? That's pretty good preaching, isn't it? I just reckon, I just reckon that if somebody as big as God moves on the inside of your little soul, he's probably going to stick out whether you want him to every once in a while. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So tonight, let me give you an entire chapter just in case you want to be a good Christian. Romans is a book that is largely doctrinal. And my, how we need an emphasis on rightly divided doctrinal preaching in this day and hour. I think you'd agree with me, and if you don't, that's okay, because I still feel like I'm right. I think our hour is shallow and superficial, and it's all this flesh and external, and folks don't have any idea what they believe. Brother Flood and I were talking, we get in deep theological discussions quite often, and we were talking in the hallway before church about that. That's why, Pastor, that crowd gets bitter, right? these blogs and are critical about an old-fashioned church because they didn't understand this thing. They tried to get the practice before the principle. They never got a grip on truth, and then they tried to live a life that is only produced by knowing the truth. Can I say you start with doctrine and then get into duty? I do what I do because I believe what I believe. We need some doctrinal preaching. You ought to know why you believe what you do. If you're in the Bible college, you ought not be allowed to say amen about something until you know why you're saying amen about it. When we say we believe the King James Bible, just hush if you don't know why you believe it. Say amen right there. If we say something about atonement and you don't know what that means, if you think that's some some kind of prescription pill, then just be quiet until you figure out what it is. But I tell you what will make a healthy church, a strong church, don't just be a Bible believer. Be a Bible reader and get that doctrine driven down into your heart. Doctrine is so important. Doctrine puts substance in your... it puts purpose in your performance it puts depth in your devotion it keeps you straight it keeps you serving and it keeps you safe from error now paul takes this pen and from chapter 1 through chapter 11 he reveals to the romans here's what christians believe and by the way if everybody would just believe the bible we wouldn't have a million different denominations say amen right there I'm glad our doctrinal statement didn't pass down from some man in a palace somewhere, but we get it from inside the covers of our Bible. In John 7, 17, Jesus said, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. So Paul gives much attendance and much attention to revealing church-age doctrine to these Roman Christians in the first 11 chapters. You're in the opening chapter, and he deals with sin. I learn about the sins of the Gentiles in chapter 1. I learn about the sins of the Jews in chapter 2. And then he comes with audacity in chapter 3 and says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then I learn about justification in chapter 4. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. I learned about salvation, but God committed his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I learned about adoption. God has sent for the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, we've been adopted in the family of God. I learned about the Holy Spirit of God and eternal security, and that's Bible doctrine. But in chapter 12, Paul transitions from dealing with what a Christian believes to now saying, Here's how he christian ought to behave paul's presented the truth and now he's saying put the truth into practice so from verse one to the end of the chapter we're given essentials and imperative ingredients to a strong church and a strong christian life and can i say that those two things are so needed today strong churches yes, absolutely. weak churches attract weak christians Strong churches attract weak Christians and strong Christians. We need strong churches, but can I say we need strong Christians? Last night at men's prayer, I tell you what, it preached to my heart. We had a testimony time at men's prayer. And it was probably better than any service of our camp meeting for me. I mean, every service of that was good, but that down there was better because it was our men saying those things in that setting with just us. There was no live stream. There was nobody there to say, we got to put that in the sword. I mean, it's just them talking from their heart. And it started with Brother Jacob. He stood up and said something. Brother John Morris said something. Brother Robert Tafoya always says something. Where's Brother Robert at? But I mean, it just went on and on and on. People testifying and saying how good God was. And it spoke to my heart because Man, those men walk with God. We try to walk with God, and we're even paid to an extent. To, it sounds bad, but we are. This is what we do to walk with. But these men work all day, and then they come to church on Wednesday night, and go soul winning on Saturday, and then they come to men's prayer. I tell you, I like that. That's a strong Christian. And the reason we have a strong church is because we have some strong Christians. So Paul is giving us some ingredients to help generate that, if you will. God's will for every believer is this. Not just that you'd be a sponge to soak up Truth, but that you'd also be a signboard to let truth be seen in the world around you. The old hymn says, Oh, to be like thee, blessed redeemer. I quoted it a minute ago. 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 2 Peter 3:18 tells me to grow in grace. Galatians 3:27 tells me to put on Christ. Galatians 2:20 tells me that I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I. Christ lives in me, and his life is has lived through me. Acts 4 13, it talks about the same, but Christianity goes far beyond a salvation experience or a baptismal certificate or a church membership card or three services a week or praying over your cereal in the morning when you wake up. Christianity is not just a get out of hell free card. It's not just a rubber, rubber bracelet that says whatever it says on there. It's not just a, I said, a bumper sticker. Christianity is an absolute revelation. Revolution in your life. Christ did not save you to ride shotgun with you in this world. He saved you to rule and reign and be Lord of Lords and King of Kings in your life at this very moment. And I'm just convinced that Christianity is more than lip service. It's a life of service lived for the glory of God. Christianity in this day, how we need it, in this day of sin, in this day of sorrow, in this day of sickness, and. In this day of insanity with all the corruption, with all of the depression, with all of the mess in our world, wouldn't it be a good thing if our world had a head-on collision not with some average, I mean riding the fence, in and out, up and down a lukewarm Christian, but a sold out, I mean a serious child of God that was a mirror of Jesus everywhere they went. I read a statement, the world has never burned a casual Christian at the stake. At salvation, God poured so much grace into you, some of it ought to splash out. I read a statement I like this. It took 90 gallons of water to baptize some of our church members and nine sprinkles of water to keep them at the house. Can I say, that is not Christianity. Christianity, being a Christian is not Christ, is one of the things that rotates around the hub of my life. He is the hub of my life. It is not church. It's one of the things on my list of things I do. It is the priority. It is the hub of my life. Let me give you some ingredients. If you look at this chapter, and we've got to hurry and look at this chapter, and we'll be through in just an hour. So let's look at this chapter together. If you look at, I can't preach that long. I don't know that much. But if you look through this chapter, you know, that doesn't stop some preachers from going that long, though, does it? Now that I think about it, I'm not going to name any, but I, I think I could name some from the pulpit. If you look at this chapter, I think you're not naming him. If you look at this chapter, you can break it down into four big divisions. Paul deals with here's a good Christian in this area, a good Christian in that area, and we're going to look at them tonight. Number one, he begins saying, Hey, listen, if you want to be a good Christian, here's some verses for the good Christian in his consecration. Look at verse one through verse two. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul comes right out of the gate after dealing 11 chapters with Bible doctrine, and he said, now I've got something to ask of you. He comes out and says, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you, I'm urging with you, I plead, I want you to do something for me, I want you to take your your life, not just your life because that's generic. He said, I'll get specific, your body. I want your physical being. I want you to take your body and present it to God, not yours anymore. You're bought with a price, but you give it to God as a living sacrifice. He said, no more does God want a legal sacrifice. Now he wants a living sacrifice. I read this verse and noticed some words. It said, beseech, he says, brethren, and then buy. That word beseech says, I'm begging you. That word brethren and says Christians, and then he said by, here's here's why, the mercies of God. If you look at that therefore, when you see therefore in your Bible, you go back and see what it's there for. One of the girls in the Bible college taught me that when I was teaching Hebrews a year ago in the tents. So you go back, you learn a lot at Golden State Baptist College. So uh, you go back and see what it was there for. If you look back at the end of chapter 11, the entirety of that chapter talks about the supremacy and the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. He's saying, fellas, if you consider all the good stuff I just dumped in your soul by way of Bible doctrine, if you'll consider you're saved, if you'll consider you're adopted, if you'll consider you're justified, if you'll consider the Holy Spirit, if you'll consider that you're a child of God, if you'll stop and think about His grace and think about His love and think about His mercy, I want to come to you on behalf of the grace of God. I want to come to you on behalf of His love. I want to come to you on behalf of His sacrifice for you. It's not too much for me to ask that if Jesus would die for you, would you consider living for him? He's saying, therefore, because you're saved, therefore, because you're not going to hell, therefore, because your name's written in heaven, would you every day and wrap, wrap, get up and wrap a bow around your body and say it's Christmas for Jesus again today. Place yourself on an altar and say, Lord, I'm all yours. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Lord, you have my eyes. Lord, you can have my hands. Lord, you can have my feet. Lord, you can have my ears. Lord, you can have my tongue. And I'm pausing for emphasis. amen right there. Lord, you can have my tongue. Lord, you can have my body. Everything that's mine, I want to give it back to you. I'm on the altar. Therefore, I'm crucified. Therefore, I want to be clean. Therefore, I'll keep you in my conscience. My life is yours to control. He said, I want you to present yourself consecration. Then he said, I don't want you to be conformed to this world. To be conformed is to be pressed and squished into a mold. He said, I don't want you to allow pressure to push you, squash you, manipulate you so that you fit in with the corruptness of this world. He said, but here's how you battle that. Be transformed. And here's the only way you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way you can win the battle of separation is if first you submit in your mind to the mind of Christ. You say, where do I get the mind of Christ? From the word of God and by yielding to the Holy Spirit. The reason most Christians don't live right is because they don't think right. And the reason they don't think right is because they don't spend time in their Bible or on their knees or surrendering for the fullness of the Holy Ghost of God. But you begin to saturate your mind with the scripture and you spend time waiting on God in prayer. He's going to change your want to. He's going to change your desires. He's going to make you want to follow in the footsteps of the Savior, and you'll give your life to Christ in consecration. That word consecration, set apart, holy for God. It's His, and here's the reason why you need consecration, and here's the reason why you cannot conform, because if you're not thinking right, you can't find out what God's will is. You see the end of the verse? So you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You can't even know what God's will is if first you don't consecrate yourself to God. That's why it always baffles my mind the most carnal Christians all of a sudden got God's will. And it's always to go do something that's not God's will. Come on. I mean, what in the world? They always say, now here's what God's called me to do. I said, it'd be nice if God would just call you to come to church three times a week first. (laughs) You know, that'd be a good thing. Amen. I'm going to go to the mission field and won't even show up for faithfulness rally. Yep. Everybody all right? Yep. It's Sunday night. And you're sleeping on us this morning and a little bit tonight, so we have to wake up. You wonder the will of God for your life? There's a good will of God. That's what most Christians do. There's an acceptable will of God. Some others do that. But then there's that perfect will that you can't beat. But you'll never know the perfect will of God if you won't separate. Amen. And crucify and die to self and live for the Lord. He said, hey, here's a good Christian in consecration. Let me ask you something. Have you given your life to God? If it, counts, if it costs a paycheck, if it costs, if it costs a, a, a relationship, whatever it is. But you say, you know, I've counted the cost and I think I'll just go with God. Have you, have you consecrated? Number two, the good Christian in consecration. But number two, the good Christian in his church. Look at verse 3. We're going to read through verse 8. <clears throat> For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to... F- Listen to this. Every problem in this chapter hinges on you not being prideful. Everything that we're, if we're going to fix it, it starts with being humble. See what he says? To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing. Now listen, one body, but there's a lot of different gifts. There's one body and a lot of different members. But that's why it's so important that we practice humility. What Paul's getting ready to tell us right here. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether to prophesy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry; or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So here he's dealing with, here's a good Christian and his relationship with his church. I said it earlier, we're blessed to have a church. Thank God for that. I mean, it's better than being part of a club or a baseball team. You say it's not perfect. No, it's cause we were dumb and let you in. Say amen right there. But it's the best thing going. There's no place like the local church, but he's giving us now some principles. He said, if you're gonna have a good church, it hinges on unity. If we're gonna serve God and conquer for God, we've got to go together. We cannot pull in different directions. I have to have the same mind as the Lord, the pastor, I say mind is the Lord. We have to follow in the, with with the pastor and everybody pull their weight together. It starts off with being humble. The smallest package in the world, they say, is a man wrapped up in himself. And all of us have a pride problem. Is that not true? You say, well, I don't agree with that. You just proved it. You're so full of pride. I mean, he even look in the mirror. See, that fellow's looking pretty good today, and that's not true, but we think so. It's like the woman, this ugly old woman. Man, she went to the preacher after the service. She was a faithful church member, lived a holy life, but just ugly preacher. I mean, just like, you, know, you know some ladies. Anyway, just ugly. Anyway, she came up to the preacher afterwards and said, I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm living in sin. And the pastor said, I don't understand that. You're always here. What do you mean living in sin? And she said, she said I, I suffer from the sin of vanity. And he said, what in the world? are you talking about? And she said, when I look in the mirror, I like what I see. And he said, oh, honey, that's not vanity. That's just a mistake. <laughs> so Paul said, Paul said you're going to have, have to humble. This is why I don't get to preach on Wednesdays because Sunday's so loose here. Uh, he said, you're going to have to humble yourself. And he said, now think about it. The church is great because the church is made up of a lot of different kinds of people. A church ought not be a body of people that all look the same or act the same, or talk the same. I'm convinced, you know, that when we get to heaven, it's going to be a very multicultural thing. Now, we're all going to be citizens of the same city and part of the same family, but from every kindred, nation, and tongue. So the church is very different in its complexion. It's very different in its attitude. It's very different in its uh, disposition. We're all different. But we all join together, many members of one body. Now, Paul used that same illustration when he preached or wrote to the church in Corinth. And he tried to tell them because the Corinthian church had the same issue the Roman church did. They were having some of these gifts that were given them by the grace of God swallow up into pride in their life. So Paul's trying to help them and remind them, now listen, fellas, every body's made up of a lot of members. The body has hands the body has feet. The hands don't do what the feet do and the feet don't do what the hands do. Your body has eyes and ears. The eyes don't do what the ears do and the ears don't do what the eyes do. Everybody, you you have a head and you have a lower part of you. It's all different, but all of it goes together and it goes together and makes that beautiful thing called the body and we can reach and we can walk and we can see and we can hear because they all work together. Same thing's true in our church. We're not the same. We're all different, but can I say every Every one of us is important to the body of Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you can give or don't. It doesn't matter your physical strength. Every member has been placed here by the providence of God as a block in this building fitly framed together, rising up into the North Valley Baptist Church. If you watch the March Madness tournament going on basketball, there's a lot of teams winning that should not win. They don't have superstars on their team, but they're winning. You know why? Because they have a lot of good role that's good. God doesn't call superstars. In fact, I tell you, who will split a church. It's a self-proclaimed superstar. There's no goats, just sheep in the family of God. Say amen right there. Didn't have that written down, just came to me. I'm going to tweet it later, though. God uses role players. We all pull weight together. And so here's what he's saying. There's some gifts given to you. Not all of us can do everything, but all of us can do something for the glory of God. And look what he says. He said, here you go. Great churches aren't built by great Christians, just good Christians working together. He says, so don't show pride over your placement. If you've got a position, bless God for it, but it's not because you're good. It's because God's good to give it to you. Say amen right there. And he mentions those different positions. We've got to hurry. He says, he says, he talks about prophesying. That's preaching. If you're called to preach, then preach. Because you preach, it doesn't make you better than somebody else. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, ministry, then minister. That's a deacon, right? Serve. Well, that's okay, but it doesn't make you better than somebody else. I guess I shouldn't have mentioned the deacons by name. Let's vote them out tonight, preacher. All right, let's look at here. It says, or teaching on teaching. If you're a Sunday school teacher, God bless you. That's a blessing. That's, That's a privilege. But it doesn't make you better than those that you teach. Amen. If you didn't have pupils, we wouldn't need you. Amen. Then he said exhortation. You know what an exhorter is? In the old Methodist church, an exhorter came behind the pastor. The pastor would preach and he'd present the truth. The exhorter would come and stir up folks to now do what he said to do. Brother Stroud is an exhorter. That's why he had Brother Galvan play the piano for four hours before he finished. He was trying to <laughs> exhort. He was trying to stir us up. But that's what he's saying. He says, some of you have the gift of encouragement. So if you do, then go encourage somebody. But just because that's your gift, it doesn't make you better than somebody else. I tell you it be a blessing to come to church and nobody sit there and think that they're the show. Let me go ahead and help myself and you as well. You are not the show, and I'm not the show. And we can have church if you never come back, and you can have church if I never come back. But if Jesus doesn't show up, Can I say Jesus is the show? It's not about us. It's all about him. We're just newsboys saying, read all about it. The Lord is good. All right, so the Christian and his church, the Christian and his consecration. Now watch this, the Christian and other Christians. If you want to be a good Christian, here's how you act toward others in the church. Look at verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with this sounds like a great church to me. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So that's, what we're, that's principles for in the church. Now you wouldn't think that Paul would have to write to Christians on here's how you treat each other. You wouldn't think that this preacher had to say, now let's sit down for a minute. I'm going to give you a cookie and a juice box and let me help you for a second. Isn't that how it feels sometimes? Hey, listen, here's how you and I treat one another. Now, you'd think that Paul wouldn't have to do that. But sadly, any pastor could tell you, you got to do that. Most Christians get along better with lost people than they do each other. Isn't that true? You're nicer to your lost neighbor than some folks you sit in church with. You cuss lost humanity a lot less than you cuss your church. So he said, here's how you act toward one another. First, he said, don't be a hypocrite when you say, I love you. See what it says in verse number nine? This is the Cooper commentary. We should publish this, Brother Reemers. Look what it says. Let love be without dissimulation. That means don't be a hypocrite. It ought to be real love for one another. You know what that means? That's not, that's not shaking hands and saying, God bless you, brother, then cussing them or talking bad about them behind their back as soon as they leave the room. And that's not just picking out people to love. There you go. Now, you ought to esteem the pastor. And he'd be the first to tell you, hey, don't do that. But we ought to. It's biblical to do that. But listen, you're a hypocrite if you show more love to people with a position than people who just sit in the pew with you. And he would say amen. i say amen to that as well. Amen. That old uh, hymn of the faith, you don't love God if you don't love your neighbor. Say amen right there. Let love be without dissimulation. Now look what he says in the second half of the verse. He says, he said, hey, abhor that which is evil. He's saying you ought to hate that which is evil. What's that, gossip? That's evil. You ought to hate gossip. Amen. You ought not be loving gossip. I'm not saying that you're going to hell if you have the next-door neighbor app. I just, I just wonder. I'm just kidding. My wife has it. But, man, that thing is horrible. Man, these people get on there and they just gossip, brother. You wouldn't know anything about it, but other folks do it. I mean, you ought not be gossip. That's evil, isn't it? That's evil to talk bad about other people. You say, but it's true. Yeah, but if you're not part of the problem or solution, then you got to keep your mouth shut. That's gossip is what it's called. It's called gossip. Amen. That's evil. What's evil? Evil things, sin. You gotta stay away. You gotta abhor it. He said, you gotta hate it. Absolutely stay away from it, like you would poison or, 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 or cancer. Just avoid it the best you can. Abhor. It. But he said, then cleave that which is good. Hey, I wonder about folks who are always looking for negatives. Don't you wonder about that? I worry about people who are always wanting drama. You ever notice people who say, I hate drama, can't live if they don't have drama? Oh, I just can't stand the drama. Do you hear about this? You know what I mean? The, we were talking about this the other day. I know There are some people, let's just go ahead and name them. We won't name them, but there are some people who are not happy unless they're mad. Yeah. And if they're not ticked, they're going to get ticked over something. They've never had a problem with the carpet color, but they don't have a reason to get mad, so now they don't like it hey, you're supposed to cleave that which is good. You got to be looking for positives. Look for stuff you can praise. Amen. Look for stuff you can brag about for the glory of God. You got to look for stuff that you say, you know what, that's pretty good down there. I'm glad our church isn't a graveyard like every other church in America. That's amen right there. I'm glad God's meeting with us down at that place. You got to cleave that which is good. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. That means just be kind to each other in honor, preferring one another. That means you don't have to be first. You don't have to have your name in the bulletin. You don't have to be the one behind the pulpit. You don't have to get an attaboy for singing a special. You're just glad to be on the team. Prefer others. You're promoting other people. You're setting up other people. That's just Christianity. I like verse number 11. Not slothful in business. Now, that'd be enough right there. If you got a job, don't be lazy about your job. Amen. I mean, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a, I was gonna say if you're an IRS agent, but we wish they wouldn't work so hard. If you're a veterinarian, then save every dog you can and kill every cat that comes through. But give it your all. Say amen right there. I mean, whatever you do. If you're in the lawn care business, then bless God, mow the grass. But he doesn't just stop at business. Out in the secular world, he's saying not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. And here's why you got to be fervent, serving the Lord. He's saying you ought to give it all. You got to give more to working for Jesus than Donald Trump did in making his billions. You ought to give more in working for Jesus than Steve Jobs and making an iPhone ring. You got to give it all to Jesus. You got to not need to be stirred up. You got to stay on stirred up. You got to be fired up about serving God. Don't make us drag you. Don't make us push you. Don't make me be a pep, a pep rally leader. I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not here to get you excited. Hey, you got to be stirred up about serving God. Zealous about your class and zealous about your route and zealous about your family and zealous about soul winning and zealous about the choir and zealous about the piano and zealous about the orchestra and zealous about the offering and zealous about those in the pew. Hey, you ought not be shouting on Sunday at the ball field and then still in the church house. You ought to be stirred up. I'd have to calm you down. I'd not have to try to prod you. I shouldn't have to throw a firecracker under your pew. You ought to come stirred up. You ought to come zealous. You ought to come excited. You're not going to hell. You got a mansion on streets of gold. Shame on you and I if we're dead about serving Jesus. I got more I deserve. I'd be in hell right now. I'd give it my all and go for God. Anyway, that's what that verse means. (laughs) Then verse 12 says rejoicing in hope. You know what we ought to be doing all the time talking about the fact Jesus is coming. You know what your hope is? Our hope is built on this, that Jesus was buried but didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave. And because he rose again from the grave, hallelujah, I'm going to rise again from the grave. Or by way of the rapture, if I don't have to taste death, thank God for it. we got to be patient in tribulation. That means when troubles come, you don't pack up and go. When troubles come, you don't bow up. When troubles come, you don't have a pity party. Pooch out your lip and droop your shoulders. You just sit there and say, the Lord gave it. The Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And here's how you do that. You got to continue instant in prayer. You stay on your knees. It'll keep you from falling. Say amen right there. Verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints. That means giving to missionaries who had to come back off the field. We just practiced the Bible tonight and didn't even know it till just now. We knew it, but isn't that a blessing? But not just that, if there's folks in the church family that have a need. Now listen, don't you take advantage of people. I tell you, churches would be a lot more generous if folks would be a lot more genuine. We had it in Pennsylvania. We had this certain lady always called when her electric bill was due. That's because she spent her government check on other things. Amen right there. But if somebody in the church family has a need, thank God you've got a church family. When you're in the hospital, you got somebody to visit you. When you have a funeral, you got people to love and pray over you. When you have a need financially, there's people there that will pray about helping you. Verse 14, how do you act toward other Christians? Bless them was persecute you. persecute you. Bless and curse not. You don't retaliate inside the church house. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. When somebody's blessed, you ought not be jealous. You know why? If somebody gets saved in your Sunday school class, Pastor, or mine, or in Brother Luke's, it doesn't matter where it is, Team Jesus won. Amen. The only reason you bow up is because you're not on Team Jesus, you're, you're on Team Self. It doesn't matter if I'm preaching and people come to the altar. Brother Everson's preaching and people come to the altar. If pastor's preaching and people come to the altar. It doesn't matter who it is, Brother Apuson, whoever it is. If, if there's a good service, you got to be happy about it. If you're on Team Jesus, say amen right there. And by the way, when you got saved, you got put on Team Jesus. North Valley Baptist Church ought to be on Team Jesus. Say amen right there. So we rejoice with them that rejoice. If somebody gets something and you say, I've been praying for that. Well, just let God knows what you need. Amen. Just trust the Lord. And then it says this, it says weep with them that weep. Isn't that a blessing? You might not have had your season of weeping yet, but you will. And you'll be thankful you have a church when the time comes. What a hard thing it'd be to live life lost. Not have anybody who cares about you. Verse 16, we'll close out and get to the last point and I'll be through. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend. By the way, that's what Christ did. Condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. That means don't think of yourself higher than you ought to. Realize who you are. i tell you what you are. You're a sinner. Saved by grace. And if it wasn't for grace, you'd be in a jail cell, on a bar stool in a ditch somewhere, divorced, whatever. You say whatever it is. You're no better than whoever else. If somebody comes in here and they're all tattooed up and have rings sticking out of everywhere on their body, hey, bless God, I'm glad they're in church. And I tell you, I've been in enough churches to know this. Sometimes I'd rather have a church full of people like that than folks who like look like they step out of a J.C. Fundamental Edition catalog and they sit there not even happy about going to heaven or anything like that. But hey, listen, you, do, you think about yourself the way you ought to. Let's get to the last point. The last point, the good Christian in his lost community. How are you supposed to behave to those outside the church? Can I say this? A testimony is the hardest thing in this world to get. And it's the easiest thing in this world to lose. Oh, my. That's Verse number 17. Let's just read. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, and I like that Paul knew how our flesh is. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, there's some folks during COVID, you've not obeyed that. Everybody all right? Don't, don't shout me down a minute ago and then get quiet on me now. Yeah. Is that not true? Was that not pride that swelled up in my heart and in yours as well? Amen. Yes it was. You don't have to say amen. I'll say my own amen and amen. Dear beloved avenge not yourselves but rather get... here it is avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. For it is this is for the lost world by the way. For it is written vengeance is mine I'll repay saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger and feed him, if he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not o- and here's why. Here's how we operate as Christians. We overcome evil, not with evil. We don't overcome abortion by bombing abortion clinics. You don't, over, you don't overcome COVID mandates by doing evil things to Sarah Cody. Say you know, These emails, that was, that's, if a Christian was involved in that, they're not right with God. Say amen right there. I'm sorry, but if you believe the Bible, you got to take it all. Yep. So how do you overcome evil? You overcome evil with good. You say, what do you mean? You just pray for them. You witness to them. You ask God to work in their heart. You say hello, and you wave, and you smile. And if they spit in your yard, you ask if, you want, if they want you to mow theirs. You don't recompense what you get. You don't return. Hey, the world is... Some people get mad because the world acts like it's lost. I can't believe they'd treat me like that. <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? We treat each other like that, and you expect the world to do better? They're not even saved. They've got no Holy Spirit. And you say, I can't believe that they'd be that mean to me. What are you talking about? Nero's burning Christians at the stake, and now you're upset because somebody put a mean tweet out. Amen. Hello? I'm just going to have to give him a piece of my mind. I wouldn't do that if I were. you'd have nothing left. Say amen, keep all you can. I mean, I wouldn't give him a piece of your mind. I'd hold on to everything you got. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. God, if you'll honor God, God's going to honor you. How do you honor God? You obey the book. You obey the Bible. You, you handle it the Bible way. And it might not be when you want it to happen, but that's okay. You'll get over that. It's going to be okay. Farther along, we'll understand why the song said it. But God said, vengeance is mine. He said, and I might repay. That's not what he said. He said, I will repay. That's not not something we rejoice in, by the way. That's sad to think. These people who've done the church wrong, Christianity wrong, that lost neighbor who... Threatens you and persecutes you, that crowd who stalks you via their internet connection and just makes your life miserable. That's a dangerous place to be, because God's going to get in on that thing if the Christian handles it right. That's right. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm talking about being Christ-like, and my obligation is to respond to everything in life that happens to me out in my community like Christ, and here's why, here's why, because I want in our church, I'll take the bus kids, but you know what else I'd take? Lawyers. Mm -hmm. You know what else I'd take? Doctors. You know what else I'd take? Senators. You know what else I'd take? Public school teachers. You know what else I'd take? 49ers football players. You know who else I'd take? Um, I'm still not comfortable with the Warriors. I'm trying to get on that bandwagon, but I'm not as comfortable. We'd take them in, and we'd help them out. Hey, I want to reach everybody. I'm not going to reach everybody if I'm a loose cannon, a short temper, a hot head out in my community. So even if I'm mistreated, i tell you what I do. They they, 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 they give me a scorpion, I hand them a sip of water. They cuss me, I say, hey, here's a loaf of bread. And I bless them. Jesus didn't revile, though he was reviled. He didn't open his mouth, he didn't strike back. And my obligation is not compromise, but it is Christ-likeness. I think about that fellow with his harmonica. And she said, before we get to the kissing and hugging, let me hear you play it first. She said, let me just see if there's some proof to what you've been preaching via these letters. I wonder tonight if your Christianity was put on trial by your neighborhood, by your footprint on your whatever, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a good Christian? Christianity is more than what I believe. It's also how I behave.